Good morning and welcome to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Loic Reza. Beyond the Headlines is a weekly current affairs show that aims to make public policy discussions more accessible to you. We take you beyond the headlines of our daily news, bringing you access to current leaders through in-depth interviews. This week's show is a special edition of BTH, presented to you by the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues, delegations of the Young Diplomats of Canada. You can join us in the conversation by tweeting us on Twitter at beyond underscore headlines. That's B-Y-O-N-D underscore headlines. Young Diplomats of Canada is incorporated on the traditional territories and lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee. This territory is covered by the Upper Canada Treaties and within lands protected by the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Agreement. In particular, the city of Mississauga is part of Treaty 14, otherwise known as the Head of the Lake Purchase, dating back to 1806. Today, many diverse Indigenous peoples call these lands home. While the organization is incorporated on the lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee, as a nationally serving organization, the executive team and delegates come from various regions of Turtle Island. Today, our delegates are joining virtually from the lands of Lenape, Kletlitene, and the Anishinaabe. On today's maps, you'll know these as New York, Prince George, and Thunder Bay. Historically, Indigenous peoples have never felt a sense of belonging or inclusion, especially on the international stage, with Indigenous youth in particular having experienced marginalization and exclusion from participation. However, bringing the world's attention to Indigenous rights and Indigenous issues is an important step towards substantive social change. We believe that youth advocacy and engagement are civil rights that acknowledge the importance of younger generations, of the future, and of shaping the world to be a better place. In the spirit of honoring the memory of work of seven generations forward and seven generations back, we believe that Indigenous youth advocacy and engagement on the international stage is a new standard to be set. Indigenous youth deserve to have a voice in their future and to feel that they belong in any space that they want to be in. Their capacity for positive impact stretches from their own communities to the global community and to the land itself. We're joined today by Max Senik from the Young Diplomats of Canada, YDC. We also have YDC's 2021 delegation to the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues, which we will describe today as AMFI. So the delegates include Nipawi Katinusit, Paloma Griffin, and Sarah Hansen. So thank you all for joining us today. I'll give you all a minute to introduce yourself. We can start with Max, and then we'll go to Nipawi, Paloma, and uh, end with Sarah. Hey everyone, bonjour tout le monde. My name is Max uh, Sunik. As Loic mentioned, I'm YDC's CEO, which means I'm, I'm responsible for the strategic vision and executing it. I'm actually a former YDC delegate myself. And when I'm not doing YDC things, I'm writing about global health and impact investing. And I'm from the part of Canada that's the traditional territories of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe and Mississaugas, currently known as Mississauga. And it's great to be here with all of you. Hello, my name is Chief Standing Wolfpaw Wanuistal. I come from Sakri Cree First Nation in Northern Alberta. I was born and raised in Prince George, British Columbia, the unceded ancestral territory of the Tene people in which I currently reside. I'm also an adopted member of Musqueam Indian Band of the Coast Salish and Elsie Poktok of the Mi'kmaq. I am delegate spokesperson as well as being a leader within the Indigenous community here in BC. Hi there, my name is Paloma Griffin. I am a PhD student at the New School for Social Research. I study the mobilization of marginalized groups across borders who seek to gain access to substantive human rights. I'm also a researcher at the Zolberg Institute for Migration and Mobility. My family is from the Cajamarca region of Peru. We're indigenous to that region. And I was born in Montreal and very, very happy to be here today. So hello everyone, my name is Sarah Hansen. I am Anishinaabeg from Biktig Anishinaabeg, but I currently live and work in Thunder Bay, Ontario. I am an Indigenous youth climate activist working with Youth for Nature and Indigenous Climate Action at the intersection of climate and nature with a specific focus on nature-based solutions and youth engagement in that space. I'm really happy to be here today. 
Thank you, Sarah, and thank you everyone for, for this introduction. I think we have a high quality panel today and it's going to be a very interesting discussion. So I'm quickly going to reintroduce myself again. I'm Loic Veza, your host uh, for today. I am a program coordinator with the Young Diplomats of Canada. I use the pronouns he, him. And my job at YDC basically is to accompany delegations from when they are recruited until they become alumni of YDC. So in my day job, I work with the Treasury Board Secretariat of Canada on the Open Government Team. So BTH has had uh, special editions of the podcast before. For first-time listeners, I was wondering if Max can tell us a little bit about what YDC is and why YDC decided to offer this opportunity. Yeah, thanks, Look, I'd be happy to. So YDC, or, or Young Diplomats of Canada, is a federally incorporated nonprofit. We're nonpartisan. And essentially, what we seek to do is get young folks from what is now Canada involved in different opportunities for global policymaking and, and to develop their leadership capabilities. We exist because we noticed there was a gap where the policymaking, the discussions, the conversations, the debates happening at, at the global level weren't always trickling down to Canadian youth and vice versa. There weren't that many opportunities for Canadian youth to actually get involved in the conversations taking place. And so to sort of close that gap, we saw an opportunity to work to essentially send delegations of, of high potential young people to these opportunities directly to sit at the tables, to have the conversations, to dive into the subject matter. And that's what we do. We're an all-volunteer team uh, working entirely digitally, which meant the transition pandemic wasn't actually that challenging from a working perspective. And uh, to date, we've, we've actually sent, I think, over 100 delegates to forums uh, of the OECD, the World Bank, IMF, G7 and G20, and of course, uh, newer offerings like UMFI. So why did we decide to offer this opportunity? It's quite simple and it's complicated at the same time. So on the simple side, we take seriously the, the calls of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And as sort of like a core organizing principle for us is this idea of inclusion. And so we have long sought to ensure that Indigenous young people are incorporated across our organization. The more complicated answer gets into the actual structure of the United Nations system itself. I won't bore folks with too much of the details. But essentially, the United Nations has something called the Economic and Social Council. It's one of the six main UN organs. That's called ECOSOC. Uh, there's a lot, there's going to be a lot of acronyms today. Apologies in advance. And in 2017, we actually submitted an application to say, hey, we're this kind of cool youth nonprofit in Canada. Wouldn't it be great if we could be in consultative status with you and have the opportunity to send people to your events? Uh, this process took a long time. We honestly submitted this application, didn't think about it. And then we got an email back saying like, hey, great, uh, you folks are approved, consultative status, which I'll be honest, was a huge surprise. And it's a surprise because the types of nonprofits that get consultative status usually have huge operating budgets, have been around for a lot longer than us, and typically put a lot of resources into those applications. We definitely put a lot of passion into the application, but we don't have those huge budgets or resources like, like other organizations. And essentially getting consultative status meant that it opened the door for us to send and ensure that we had representation at different UN events. We took a look at the calendar and of course the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues stood out to us. We took a quick scan who's, who from Canada is sending organizations, young people, delegates, we didn't really see that much youth representation. And so we thought, hey, this is something that we do. Why don't we take a stab at it this year and try and send a delegation for the first time? It's online. It'll be a little bit less onerous than if we had to physically send folks in person. Of course, that comes with, with some drawbacks. And we took it seriously as an opportunity to advance our mandate of an inclusive, forward-thinking vision of what Canadian diplomacy should and can look like. I'll pause there. There's, there's more to dive into, but that's kind of the simple answer. Thank you, Max. And yeah, I'm very intrigued as to see there's, there's more to, to say to this story. And I'm also very curious to hear the delegate side of how they heard about this opportunity. So maybe I can pass it to Paloma, Sarah, and, and Nipal, just to know how you heard about the opportunity. Have you ever heard about any organization doing something similar? And I'll also be very interested to know why you decided to go with YDC? Was there anything that struck you, anything that made you curious about YDC? 
Well, I had heard about the opportunity with the Amfi delegation through YDC through a friend who had been doing work with YDC in the past. They had reached out and suggested uh, I apply for the delegation and I decided to do it because I, I saw YDC being a non-Indigenous organization and really being the only opportunity like this out there in the landscape and wanting to step outside of my comfort zone in a certain respect of doing work with a non-Indigenous organization. Having done work with the Indigenous community for close to, close to a decade now, uh, having started with uh, Idol No More back in 2012, this was an area where I started to see some some areas of improvement in terms of leadership. And so seeing this opportunity being offered, I decided to jump on it. And I'm really, really glad that I did. On my behalf, I think definitely YDC is one of the few organizations I've ever seen to do something like this. As, as a young Indigenous person who is not from Canada, yeah, I've had a lot of really meaningful and important relations with Indigenous people as I've moved across the country and being very visually identifiable as an Indigenous person has in some regards put me in a, in a place of experiencing discrimination uh, and think in a way that a lot of Indigenous youth face and can be very discouraging and very frustrating. So for me, when I was communicating with my own community groups across Canada, this was something that had come up as some of the older folks were complaining that probably this was going to be filled with non-Indigenous people applying uh, and non-Indigenous youth being sent to do the representation. So they had expressed frustration with this and it was recommended to me by, by my friends and family uh, that perhaps I should apply as well in order to ensure that we had some global Indigenous representation. That's why I applied in the first place. Uh, but of course, as, as a researcher and as a young academic, I also very much has to do with my own research experience as I attempt to find a way for Indigenous people to mobilize more efficiently to gain access to human rights. I thought this would be a good way to, to gain that understanding, learn from my colleagues and figure out a way to push the needle forward for us. Yeah, I think I share similar thoughts where I had been following the organization for a few years. I was actually always interested in being part of the G7 or G20 delegations or Y20 or Y7 delegations, as those were the only advocacy-based ones from the organization. And I wanted to be part of those because I want to be part of a group that was dedicated to making our collective lives better. But when I saw this opportunity in particular, I was intrigued. Like Nampawi said, no other organization openly provides this type of opportunity. But I was hesitant at first with YDC being non-Indigenous and with no little Indigenous representation on the executive. I actually went and looked on the website deeply and I kind of creeped everyone in the executive to see who was. I had met Christina at a conference a few months prior and she reached out to me actually to share the opportunity. And I'd asked her outright who'd be making the decisions for the delegation. And again, afterwards, when I was offered the position, and if it hadn't been for her, I probably wouldn't have agreed to be part of it. But I'm thankful so much because of who I met and the opportunities I've been able to gain from this. Being part of the first delegation, I've been able to ensure that more space can be created for more youth to join and that it is a safer space. That's why I joined. Thank you, everyone. I think, you know, I was, I'm very happy from, from what I've heard. I think uh, one of the theme I've heard again and again is really repre representation matters. And I'm, I'm very happy to hear. So I'll, I'll just like to pass it on to Max from what you've heard from the delegates right now. Can you push a little bit on what the intentions of YDC were, you know, how it connects with the YDC wider mandate and vision about representation specifically? Yeah, thank you, Loic. Well, thanks, thanks, delegates, uh, for sharing a bit about your motivations. It's super interesting and helpful to hear. So I'll say what our intention was, is our intention is simply to make a platform available and to provide the supports for delegates to do what they want with the space. Of course, within the constraints that we have as an all-volunteer team. That, that was our motivation. There wasn't an ulterior motive towards saying these are the types of messages that we want to be front and center or these are the types of things that you have to do. And I know when we started this experience, 
I know there was some hesitancies like, hey, are you, are you folks actually serious about just creating a platform? And the reality is yes, like we are quite serious. A couple of personal reflections that I've had over the last several years working at YDC and, and watching Canadian foreign policy. I personally don't feel that Canadian foreign policy inherently respects the nation to nation relationships that exist inside of what is now Canada. You don't see that reflected clearly in our foreign policy. Maybe there are consultations that take place, maybe there are white papers that exist, but I don't feel like that's incorporated well. And, and I'd, be happy, I'd be curious to know how the delegates think about this as well. And so there was kind of this idea in our, in our minds at YDC, but what would it mean to sort of just provide this opportunity without saying you have to be the official Canadian this or the that, and just to say, no, you're a, del you're a delegation of indigenous folks going to this and do with this what you will. And if you need support on X, Y, or Z, we're here to help and we're here to make that possible. Obviously we're a non-Indigenous organization and we knew that there were gonna be bumps along the way in, in trying to realize that vision, but that's, that's kind of what the motivation was for us. And I think as well, like reflecting a little bit more broadly on gaps that we see. So obviously youth involved in global policymaking is a gap in and of itself. But then if you segment it further, you see that there's even more, there's larger gaps within that. You can't just say youth as a whole. You have to look at which groups of youth, where are they located in, in, inside of Canada? What, what is their profile? What kinds of experiences have they had? And I know this is something that's really serious to the delegates as well, is, is asking these questions. And even if we look at really big international summits taking place now, I think about COP26, we see that actually like Indigenous people aren't able to attend this event at all, which is crazy when you think about the role that Indigenous people play in, in being on the front lines of climate change and things like that. And we felt that we did not want to be another organization that was in some way imposing a barrier. We wanted to be one that was working to remove a barrier and, and knowing that that process would be one that would have several iterations that would have starts and stops, but that if our intentions were true, which, which they honestly are, that we would be able to form a partnership, hopefully, and to see this through and, and to really create a meaningful opportunity. And one thing I will just say that I think is important, I remember a conversation that, that we had with the delegates really early on into this. And, and for context, YDC kind of classifies our delegations into either advocacy or education. I mean, it was one of you delegates who was like, look, if you put an opportunity in front of an Indigenous young person, it's going to turn into an advocacy opportunity. You can't just call it an education one. And so I think there's been all of these kind of learnings for us along the way, but the true intention really is just to have that platform exist. And again, without any ego, we don't need to be the organization necessarily that continues to offer this forever, but we did have this opening with our ECOSOC consultative status. We wanted to make the most of it. Thank you, Max. I really love what you said about uh, intentions and just as concluding remarks, at least for, for this section, I'd just like to talk about a little bit about why as a program coordinators, when I was offered this opportunity, I said, you know, yes, with a big smile. As program coordinators at the beginning of the year, we look at all the delegations that are coming up and we each choose which delegation we would like to help based on our, our strengths, based on what we want to learn for the year and based on how we think we can have that delegation. So for me, when I was presented with, the, with helping the UMFI delegation, I had basically two things in mind, learn and listen. And the second thing is just being an ally. So the first part of this, it was, I thought about it as an opportunity to listen to young indigenous peoples and being educated on their culture and history. For me, as a first generation immigrant working in a settler organization like YDC, I felt this was an opportunity and a privilege to listen to their stories while accompanying them through this amazing opportunity that is Omfi. And being an ally, I think Max kind of mentioned it earlier when he was speaking, one of the obstacles I find in advancing Indigenous people's interests is the tendency for allies, quotation mark, to be focused on the allies' priorities and speak usually for Indigenous people. And I felt like YDC, I sincerely feel like YDC wanted to give young Indigenous people the opportunity to speak for themselves on an international stage. And I thought to myself, how can I help? We'll be going into the experiences of the delegates with YDC and during the forum. So welcome back everybody to this uh, special BTH podcast edition. 
we are uh, here with Max Enik, CEO of uh, the Young Diplomats of Canada, YDC, and also with the YDC delegation to the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues, AMFI, uh, Nipawi, uh, Paloma, and Sarah. Uh, so we'll get back to it and maybe uh, let's start with Paloma. Uh, people don't really know what AMFI is, so I just thought it, it would be interesting for you to just give us, you know, the 101 on AMFI and can explain a little bit about the, the, the format of the forum this year and how it changed from previous years. AMFI, the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues, uh, is traditionally a two-week in-person forum at the New York City General Assembly for the UN. So it is comprised of morning meetings, usually, uh, that are all of the country's representatives around the world, they attend, and organizations, the, the countries are allowed to put forward a speaker to voice issues, raise concerns, um, have a moment to, to share their thoughts. And then in the afternoons and evenings is the opportunity for Indigenous people from around the world to host uh, what are called side events. And those side events are much more intimate, much smaller, and sort of more of a free-for-all of, of conversation, sharing research, sharing our own personal concerns. The UMFI is like first and foremost, the most stunning display of diversity that I have ever seen. It's really an opportunity to show the multifaceted face of what global indigeneity is insofar as all of our languages are different. We share no background. We share no one culture. We share no one tradition. We're coming from all over the world. And it is the biggest opportunity for us to be able to see each other face to face and, um, you know, be able to say hi and say, we share a colonial history, we share many experiences, and we share many struggles. Let's talk about them. Let's see if we can find solutions together. So that's the traditional kind of setup of the forum. This year was a little bit different. It was due to obviously COVID-19, we couldn't go in person. So the forum moved to online, it moved over Zoom. Uh, and I think Nipoli is going to speak a little bit to that. Yes. And so as Paloma had mentioned, you know, the forum this year was in a virtual setting. And as she had, was speaking to Indigenous people, we, we generally do better work when we're amongst each other, when we're face to face, able to interact on, on a one to one basis. So it was a bit disorienting at times. Um, on top of technology issues that were being felt not just by us but by many of the delegations to the point that the American delegation, the head of the delegation actually made point of this on the last day of the forum to say that this year we need to meet in person for exactly what we're speaking to. We do better work in person and especially with COVID and everything that's been going on, it's being seen as kind of a holistic kind of recharging for the people who are going to go. It's going to give us the ability to reconnect in, in those ways that we haven't been able to uh, with COVID-19. The other issue that did end up coming up was the fact that this delegation happened um, in New York, or it was supposed to happen in New York, and with that, we all would have been in one time zone. Our delegation was spread over a number of time zones, so a number of those meetings that uh, Paloma was talking about, the side events, some of them uh, would happen at 4.30 in the morning Pacific Standard Time, so it would be a bit of a long day for our West Coast delegates. Uh, however, um, it was something that, you know, was understood going into the space that it would be on East Coast time, but challenging nonetheless, but also definitely because of the COVID-19 situation going on, we had to adapt and it was very challenging at times, but it was also uh, exercise in patience and technology as well. So you mentioned adapting, and I think as a program coordinator to, to this delegation, I think adapt you, you did. Um, and so I think I'd like to speak to Sarah. How did you, you know, as a delegation manage this unique situation, you know, to work and to engage leaders ahead of the forum? You know, how did you meet? Uh, what did you hear? I, I, I'd just like to, to, to know how you manage this very different situation than what you expected. It was a very difficult situation to adapt to, not only in times of time zones, but also funding, especially with there being you no know, like funding or honorariums for participation or knowledge sharing. Um, and working in the Indigenous space, there's these protocols you have to follow. And they've been adapted over the pandemic, but it's been especially hard when you're trying to make these new connections. However, going into these conversations and knowing these limitations, we really thought strategically about who we wanted to talk to 
And for us, this meant only going to Indigenous leaders who are already engaged in these spaces and these conversations. So we weren't taxing them too much on having to learn new things. And especially with this being the first delegation for us, it worked out because we were able to have these big, broad conversations with some high-level people. And we were able to talk about our fears and our concerns going into a space online. And all of them were incredibly helpful and uh, encouraging to what we were going to be doing. So some standout conversations that we had were Dr. Cindy Blacksack. I know we all three really enjoyed that conversation. And she actually prepared a full presentation for us, which we were so happily excited for. And we sat through that and she gave us a quick run through of her mosquito advocacy strategy. And then another conversation that I think of is Dr. Cheryl Lightfoot, which funnily enough, because of time zones, Nepal, we couldn't make. He ended up sleeping through the interview, which was funny, but just spoke to the time zone issues we had. And she is the new, she's new in the space, but she just got a high level position. And she spoke to us about the significance of youth at previous UN permanent forums. And it really highlighted to us the impact that youth have in the space, but still the challenges that youth face because they're seen as these moral compasses and not as decision makers and knowledge holders, which we are. Thank you very much, Sarah, for that. I'd, I'd like to, you know, hear more experiences from all of you, you know, something and highlight of your experience that you'd like to talk about. But before we move to that, uh, I'd just like to talk about something amazing that you guys did. And that's a recommendation to, uh, to, to the forum, basically. So maybe I can let you guys speak a little bit to that. And uh, after that, we'll talk about your experiences. The recommendation that we made as a group, as a delegation to the permanent forum, was calling for the creation of a youth advisory council. During our time at the forum, it became abundantly clear that there was very little space for youth to make recommendations, to speak to the issues and challenges that they were facing in their regions. And this is one of the biggest reasons why we, we called for it. We also called for it because in that space as well, we also saw the lack of youth. Oftentimes we would be the youngest people in the room, other than some of the member states having youth to maybe read a statement or just simply to be even in the room. And that really spoke to us. It really spoke to us and really assured us that we were making a, a good move by putting forth this uh, this advisory council. And I'll pass it on to Paloma to speak a bit more to our um, our process of how we we came to that. The statement that we drafted was sort of a labor of love for us. I believe that we pulled a six hour phone call trying to draft that statement together, where we sat down and thought about what the priorities were for Indigenous youth and, and based on our own experiences and the experiences of our loved ones and the people around us in our communities, trying to decide how much weight to give the value of an Indigenous youth voice. And obviously we came to the, the conclusion that actually it's incredibly central to the way that we have to think about human rights going forward, um, especially for Indigenous peoples. The, the future is in the youth. And for me and Nipawi especially, we are aging out of the youth group very quickly. So we are looking now at the younger group even and saying, you know, it's your turn. We have to make sure that this is a space for you too. You deserve to be here. You deserve to use your voice. At the UN, you know, that was a, a pie in the sky dream, as we heard from many of our, our meetings with stakeholders. And the fact that we have the opportunity to be there means that we should open this door more for the even younger groups. So that was sort of a name of the game for us when we were drafting this statement. Um, the big shame was, of course, because the statement uh, was automatically accepted that, you know, the UN said, for sure, we would love to hear you speak it at the um, morning meetings. Due to COVID and due to the online format, they missed many, many people during that process. Internet cut out to many countries. A lot of people were skipped. There was a, a whole lot of mismanagement of the schedule because it was difficult to try and fit people in at the appropriate time slots for them. So we were one of the many groups that got misplaced in the uh, program. So unfortunately, us, along with many others, did miss the opportunity to be able to make that statement. But we go forward with the hope that maybe the coming year we'll be able to make that statement again uh, and push that forward and agenda for even further. Sarah, I'll pass it off to you. Yeah. And I think with youth, 
it's not only about like our knowledge and our experiences as Indigenous youth, but it's also the age we've grown up in is this technological age where we're just able to make things happen faster. And especially having an online forum, it would have made it so strategic to have youth leading this because we know the conversations that need to be held and we know how to amplify them. And we know how to organize in a, such a quicker way than any person who's working in marketing or events does, especially with Indigenous people being an oral people, we could have come up with such innovative ways to act over those two weeks. And it was such a missed experience. So it's not only the knowledge we hold, but the advice that we can give on things that need to change that this group could do for us. I mean, I think I speak for everyone when I say, you know, that it was a, a complete privilege for us to be there, to, to be able to see the diversity and see the, the exchange of ideas and, and the global commitment to, to moving us forward is super beautiful. But as Sarah said, like, I think she said just right, it's a, a huge missed opportunity to not be able to be there in person. Uh, and I think that was a, a big frustration for all of us. Thank you, everyone. To, to conclude this section, again, I'll just like to hear a little bit about uh, your experiences and maybe some, if you have a highlight you would like to, to share with, with our listeners. One thing I would just like to repeat again that uh, Paloma said that, and I loved really, uh, I loved a lot, was it was the most awesome display of diversity. Uh, I think Umphi should use that as, you know, as a statement. I think it's uh, it's it's wonderful. So who who wants to start just to talk about um, uh, your, your experience? I would have to say the most dramatic part of the form for me, like the, the biggest piece that sticks out for me was when the Russian Federation was giving its uh, statements during the first week of the forum, immediately after the Ukrainian delegation came up and just tore Russia apart. They did not pull any punches. Like they, they said a lot because at the time, uh, Russian troops were going into the Ukraine. So they took their opportunity and it was, it was quite wild to, to see, but out of everything that was the, the big standout for me was just seeing the Ukrainian delegation taking that opportunity and, and making a statement. And boy, did they. I think for me, the biggest moment was, um, you know, I have a, a huge personal stake in, in violence against women, um, especially when it comes to Indigenous women. This is a problem felt by Indigenous women worldwide. So for me, it was, uh, you know, being able to meet women organizing in different countries in the world and different tiny little regions that I have never even heard of organizing and finding ways to combat and fight violence against women in their communities. That has given me great, great hope and great strategic thinking for my own, you know, aspirations to be able to encourage that sort of um, education and development and community space for women in, in Canada and abroad. And for me, I think it wasn't really the forum that was the highlight for me it was meeting Nepali and Paloma and the conversations we had before, during and after that was really the highlight. And then afterwards, funnily enough, I actually was able to go to the International Union for Conservation and Nature World Conservation Congress in Marseille, France. And I got to meet and talk alongside Hindu Ibrahim, who is one of the most phenomenal Indigenous uh, women activists, climate activists as well. And it was just such a full circle moment for me to be able to do that from this MFI delegation. We'll be going into the experiences of the delegates after the forum and the next steps for them. So thank you everyone. We're back again with Max Sinek from uh, the Young Diplomats of Canada, the CEO there, uh, with the YDC delegation to the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues. So the delegation comprising Nipawi, Paloma and Sarah. So in this next section, we're just going to talk a little bit about uh, the next steps uh, post AMFI and also for, for this delegation and what YDC has in mind. Um, before we head there, I'm just you know, curious to hear a little bit from everybody. So from Max and the delegation, what do you think has changed in Canada for Indigenous youth? And you know, what do you see for the next you know, five to 10 years? Well, I definitely feel that Indigenous youth are really at a watershed moment in terms of their participation and ability to influence policy as well as international relations. I think our 
participation at the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues and how we participated was also a big contributor to this. And we will see the impacts of the work that we've done here in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I'm really proud of the delegation and the organization for doing this because again it's something that we're going to look back on and really be proud of being a part of in terms of where youth are going in the next five ten years again i would say we're going to the stars and wherever we set our minds to and just knowing that the youth out there have that mindset is really what is enabling and empowering folks like myself to continue to the work that we've been doing for the last generations, seven, seven generations back and thinking seven generations ahead. Yeah, I would, I would follow up with that. I mean, I think maybe I'm a little bit more reserved uh, than Nepali is, and that is, has always been our strength. I think the three of us uh, branch, branch and, and spread out between being incredibly optimistic and hopeful and being, you know, trying to be reserved and analytic at all times, we all swing back and forth uh, based on the day. Um, but I will say, you know, I think one, if, if I have learned anything from this experience, it is that we have so much to thank for the people that came before us who carved a path to allow us to be able to take these steps forward. It has been a wonderful experience to meet some of the older Indigenous diplomats and Indigenous political leaders and to be able to meet them face to face in a world where the three of us have not seen much representation that looks like our own, for us to be able to meet them uh, and have them say directly to us, so you're the new kids on the block, huh? So you're you're the up and comers. You're coming next, um, and they, you know, they've all been so excited for us and so, you know, willing to share their knowledge and share their wisdom with us, and that has been incredibly humbling. Uh, I think it has definitely made us recognize how lucky we are and how fortunate we are to be in the position that we're in. I think, yes, a lot has changed for Indigenous youth, but by that same token, nothing has changed for Indigenous youth. We are still fighting a fight that is many years long uh, to go. So I think we really have to continue pressing on and and taking cues from the people that came before us and trying to, trying to keep pushing that needle. Yeah, and if I think I could say add anything to this conversation, it's Indigenous youth are abundant. We are one of the fastest growing populations, if not the fastest growing population in Canada. And we're only growing in strength as much as we are growing in numbers, especially in the climate activism movement. There's so much more Indigenous youth who are involved and who are not only enabled to do the work we do, but also empowered to do it and uplifted. And I think with even more support from organizations and allies in a respectful way, we could be even greater because um, the time is now and the time, especially for climate action is yesterday. And with indigenous peoples, we're really the, the only true solution to everything we have, every problem we have right now. Max, would you like to jump in on this one? No, I think, I think you folks have covered it. I think maybe just from the perspective of a, of a non-Indigenous person and, and someone who's been active in the youth leadership space um, for a while and, and, and frankly, who's um, leaving this, this space and will move kind of into the elder youth category of, of supporting the next generation. Um, I think it's been really exciting and um, that has been covered by the delegates, but I think it's also been a really good, productive challenge for non-Indigenous people. Um, to find ways of working with Indigenous folks that aren't exploitative, that are true partnerships, that are collaborative, that aren't predicated on getting something specific that you want as a non-Indigenous person. And I think leading an organization that has sought to take this, these first steps in this way, I think has been enormously, has an enormously interesting and, and also illustrative of the types of partnerships that I think will power the future that we want to have um, in, in, in the next five to 10 years to your question, Loic. And, and I think of, um, you know, this concept of, of polishing the silver covenant chain of, of moving through the world together. Um, we have to find new models of, of doing that. And I think young people are just so much better suited to actually trying that out, seeing what works. Um, and, uh, and, and I think those models can serve as, as helpful um, exemplars for other aspects of Canadian society that definitely need changing. Thank you, Max. You mentioned, you know, finding new models of working. So I'm curious about 
what do you see as the next steps for the Umphi delegation? Where do you see this delegation going going forward? Yeah, that's a super good question. And I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier in the show, but we try not to approach this with an ego about needing to be sort of the face of anything as Young Diplomats of Canada. I think where we land is we think it's important that Indigenous people are represented in all aspects of international policymaking. So on the one side, we continue to commit to, to doing outreach, to involving Indigenous young folks inside of our all of our delegation offerings and not just saying you can only be at the United Nations Indigenous uh, Permanent Forum for Indigenous Issues. Obviously not. You have to be everywhere. And then on the UMFI delegation itself, it's about finding what is the right combination of ingredients that that in, in, ensures that this exists. There's a funding component, as Sarah has spoken about before. There's a component to recruitment, to ensuring that we're doing outreach to folks that we don't have access to as non-Indigenous people. And then, of course, there's a component to do we partner with an Indigenous organization or not? And, and, and which Indigenous organization do we partner with? And, and what does that look like? What are the structures that we need to have in place as an organization to ensure that that we're doing uh, the legwork to, to host this in a way that is fundamentally respectful and is fundamentally um, also enabling the autonomy of the delegates to do with the space what they want to do. Thank you very much, Max, for, for, for that. To, to wrap up the conversation, I, I have uh, two questions for uh, the delegation here. The first one, just wanted to know if you, you would like to add anything to what Max has said in terms of, you know, where do you see um, the delegation going? And uh, the last part of my question would be, how do we find you on uh, social media? If we want to keep this conversation going, is it on LinkedIn, Twitter? Let us know. We'll start with me, sorry. Uh, so I'll go first. Um, I think, you know, something that we're thinking about a lot, obviously, is recruitment. Uh, for the 2022 delegation, um, we are, me, Nipoli and Sarah have uh, very, we're very excited to say that we are staying on to do that again this year. We are recruiting three more uh, people to attend with us. Uh, we are hoping that this is going to be, you know, sort of the structure of us being able to do a little bit of mentorship in this space uh, and also get in more voices to help shape what this program will look like for, for YDC, um, since it is very much a work in progress and we are only three people. You know, in, in that regard, I think we're really looking forward to the preparation. So, so for any and all Indigenous people uh, and Indigenous youth, this would be a really great time to start thinking about getting involved and using your voice. We really want to encourage that and be able to work with you and be able to hear what you have to say and, and take that into account as we draft our next steps forward. So that is a, a huge key for us right now. Um, I'll pass it on to Sarah and then Nipoli, I think, is going to go last with a, a thought. But just in terms of social media, yes, uh, I'm on Twitter. I am on Instagram. I am on Facebook. Uh, I'm more active on Instagram and Twitter of all things. Yeah, I think our next steps are really exciting. Um, we're talking about some plans right now that Nipoli is going to talk about. But you can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Most of my handles are at Saruni. Uh, and that's spelled S-A-R-O-O-N-I-E. But I'm just excited to go to next year and to share everything I've learned, both at the UN Permanent Forum, but also in other work I do, both with Youth for Nature and Indigenous Climate Action, because these spaces and these people all need to intersect, especially if we're going to combat the climate crisis we're currently in. So without further ado, I'll hand it over to Nampawi to finish us up on our reflections and what we're hoping to do next. Well, definitely a big aspect of our plans moving forward, as Paloma had touched on, was getting uh, more delegates, younger delegates for this next year so that we can start doing succession training. As Indigenous people, we tend to think seven generations forward and seven generations back, as we had spoken to earlier in the program. You know, we're very humbled and very honored to have been able to go down this track uh, by those seven generations that came before us. And so now it's our duty, our job, our responsibility to prepare that way for the next seven generations. So hearing uh, YDC taking that in such great importance and then our delegation also recognizing that and wanting to pass along the skills that we have, I'm confident that this delegation will end up being a staple in having Indigenous youth enter into these spaces. Now, in terms of our next steps moving forward as well, 
we're going to be doing fundraising for our delegation so that we can attend uh, New York in the end of April, beginning of May. So that's going to have a various uh, looks to it. We're still in the process of planning that out. But just as an example, uh, some film screenings that we have uh, lined up, we're looking to do in the next coming months or so. Uh, GoFundMe pages will be set up, uh, many different avenues to uh, elicit funding that we'll need to ensure that that the delegation can be there in person as well as have an amazing experience while there. I will also say that hearing that YDC is willing to do work with other organizations to make this uh, delegation as great as it can be is really uplifting as well. It, as, a, as an elder youth, as Max put it, um, you know, it, it's really reassuring to hear that that aspect is also, you know, being taken into consideration, partnerships to, again, make this a, a really amazing opportunity for youth. And in terms of social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at uh, Nipui, very simple to find. And uh, I look forward to seeing what this delegation and this organization is able to, to do with this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Miigwech. Today we had a fascinating conversation about Indigenous youth advocacy and engagement. As Paloma mentioned, Indigenous youth deserve to have a voice in their future and to feel that they belong in any space that they want to be in. Representation matters, it really does. I just want to thank you all today for sharing your time, your passion, your expertise and your experience. I love and appreciate it seeing how this experience brought you in Nipawi Paloma and Sarah closer and really I really felt like it transpired throughout your interventions today how uh, Nipao you began something Paloma added to it Sarah you know put a bow to it I really loved uh, seeing you see, seeing you guys today I would encourage our listeners to read your delegation report it has valuable insights from your collective experience you can find a report on YDC's website the link will be found in the show notes for this uh, podcast episode you also find in the show notes all the social media accounts for the Young Diplomats of Canada. So that's YDC. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And we've also added the social media accounts for our delegates to the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues. So the delegates you heard from today. If you're interested in participating in this specific forum, so we'll be launching recruitment very soon. So stay tuned, follow us on social media for, for, the, for this recruitment, and we'll also be recruiting for other delegations. Lastly, the delegation has launched a GoFundMe page for the attendance to the, the UN Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues in New York next year. You can find the link in the show notes. Please consider encouraging them whichever way you can. You've been listening to a special edition of Beyond the Headlines, presented to you by the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues, delegations of the Young Diplomats of Canada. The views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of the producers, CIUT, the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy, or the Young Diplomats of Canada. Be sure to check out podcasts of all our episodes on our website at www.beyondtheheadlines.net or wherever you get your podcast. If you're a fan of our show or want to stay up to date with public policies issues in Canada, follow us on Twitter at beyond underscore headlines. You can also check us on Facebook or Instagram. Be sure to tune in next week as we continue to take public policy discussions out of the always and onto the airwaves.